Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. against you 
that I have set before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for another opportunity to host Pro-Life Friday's radio soon to be known as True Life Friday's radio. Father, we thank you for the host that we have, Letitia, the work that she does, myself, Melissa, and we thank you for our listeners. And we pray today, Lord God, that the message that's going to go forth will touch people and that they will have an insight and a perspective on the issue of life from every perspective, even those which they don't even expect. So we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. So it's one of those days where I had to pick what what was more worthy of our time and efforts here on TLFR to talk about. And there was a lot going on. And I don't mean to exclude anything that was important. Uh, it's just that preparing for the limited time that we have to talk about something, uh, we have to yeah. do. And sometimes... Sometimes it's not a choice of what is best. It, it, it is simply a choice of what needs to be said. And so um, I want to be up front. I, we are totally aware, totally aware of what's happening in Venezuela, as well as Syria, as well as Iran. My good friend Randy Noble, who we've had on several times on this program, uh, sends me Facebook reminders, and he, he keeps a very – strong eye, a very tight eye on what's happening, the human rights uh, abuses that are happening in Iran. And let me not forget and make very quick but uh, serious mention about the news that is rolling out of North Korea, which is that the North Korean government has been, um, oh, this has gone, gone on for decades now, but we are just now receiving more stories about the human rights abuses that go on there. Uh, really, in summary, and again, this is not to make light of it or to gloss over it, but that we don't have um, enough information and have had the time to develop the story, but we will get to it, is that there have been uh, defectors that have recently shared about just the cruelty and the, I I can't even, I don't even have the words to accurately describe how horrific they are. Children um, are being killed, basically ripped to pieces by guard dogs in prison camps in North Korea. And the thing is, um, about these prison camps, most of the people that are in a North Korean prison camp have not committed any crime. Now, think about that. The people who are living are forced to live in prison camps, prison slash labor, because they put all the prisoners to labor, in prison camps are there 
because a relative may have committed a crime by the state standards, either by some kind of political dissent. Most of them, it's, it's, it's speech infractions, say, critical, criticizing the government or criticizing the president or their dear leader or the supreme leader or the current leader. I don't know. Does he have a title? The next great leader? Uh, Kim Jong-un? Criticizing the government, yeah, criticizing the government in some way, shape, or form nets your entire family in prison, and most of the family members don't even know why they're there. And so, children can grow up inside a prison camp, and they can get killed inside a prison camp in the most horrific of ways. You know, Letitia. I I think about what you're saying there, and then I think about the Word of God and what it says. And I and I look and knowing both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you don't see anywhere in the New Testament where God changed His mind about the Scripture that says. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by the hands of man shall his blood also be shed. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. But the the problem that we have, uh, Letitia, is that you have too many Christians, too many of us, we, we're trying to love evil. In other words, what I mean by that, and let me explain what I mean by that. The situation, the circumstances, the things that we should deal with head on with the iron fist, we're not. We cower in the face of true adversity, but yet and still we're tearing each other to shreds within the body of Christ over differences of denominations and doctrines and all that stuff. And what you just told me sickened me to my stomach. I'm not surprised. But if it was me and I could do something about it, and if there was some way to know the innocence from the purely evil people, I would separate and get out all the innocent people, and then those who were doing that stuff, I just turn them into a piece of glass because you don't need Um, to treat people like that. True. You don't. And that man... In this uh, world, if there is... We are assured there is not earthly justice against murderers in this world. There will be justice by the hand oh, of God. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I, this is never going to be a situation where we can finally say, yes, you know, we have done the right thing right. on an ultimate sense, but we do know that God will. You know, we, uh, human failing, that, what causes us to tolerate or and for people to commit murder in the first place also causes us to tolerate it. 
I mean, look at this country, uh, which is what we're about to talk about. Uh, we we're about to talk about it. Now, I, okay, so people are going to say, what's your citation for the North Korean story? Uh, the story that I'm referring to is of a North Korean defector. He worked. He was a guard at a prison camp. And when he learned that most of, after years of service, thinking that the prisoners were there because of some crime, and he learned that most of the prisoners there, about 90%, he said, were not, didn't even realize why they were there. They didn't know why they were there. He started to question the, the government for himself, which is a very dangerous thing to do because he could be the one next one tossed into a, a pen full of dogs and ripped to, ripped to shreds. Uh, he ended up swimming across the river into China to get away. And so that, that is his story. So he, had been, he has been living in South Korea uh, for a number of years and finally has broken his silence. And so that's the citation that I have. Um, but I want to get to our, our main story uh, and talk about something outrageous, but I'm not surprised that she said this, uh, we've got, which is Cecile Richards, who is the head of Planned Parenthood, gave an interview recently, and the video popped up on, on the net today. So we're going to play that in just a minute. We've, but for me, I've, we, I think we've gotten to the point at this, on this show where I feel like I'm playing a broken record when dissecting the illogic of Planned Parenthood's spokespersons. I mean, they don't say anything new. They just say things in a worse way every time. Um, but here, there's new audio today. Cecile Richards says her own children's lives didn't begin until she gave birth to them. And uh, bear with me, I couldn't find a portable audio of this, so it's going to have to play a little muddled. So bear with me, but here it is. This is a, this is a question that I think will be debated through the centuries, and people, you know, people come down with very different uh, points of view. What's, what's, what's that point? It's, I mean, it is not something that I feel like is really part, part of this conversation. I mean, to me, we work with women. I, I guess the way I'd really like to, to um, I think every woman has to make her own decision. What we do at Planned Parenthood is make sure that women have all their options uh, for health care and that they have the option to um, have a healthy pregnancy. They have an option to put a child up for adoption if they decide to carry a pregnancy to term, uh, or they have a, the right to make a decision to terminate a pregnancy. So why would it be so controversial to say, for you to say, when do you think life starts? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's controversial. I don't know that it's really relevant to, relevant to, the, to the conversation. But, I mean, for me, I'm a mother of three children. Um, for me, life began when I delivered them. Um, they were part of they, They've been probably the most important thing in my life ever since. But that was my own personal, that's my own personal decision. All right. So. Uh, can I comment first? That, can I comment first? Can I comment first? Please. I don't. I believe you haven't left me a choice. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. So if the baby wasn't alive, she delivered him. How is she still alive when, when according to all medical doctors and research, dead flesh 
cannot live inside of a human body because it will kill people? Okay, that's my comment. Sorry. Well, uh, I guess that depends on what you define as life. Uh, and we we really ought to nail that down. But, of course, it's a little bit like nailing jello to the wall. Uh, so, but notice, um, here, I need to back that up and replay the question that didn't come through on the audio. Uh, maybe not. Okay. What the host actually had asked her is, when do you believe that life begins? And her answer was, that you know, that's that's something that's debated. And, and People disagree about that. It's a it's a subject of debate. All right. Yes. Thank you, Cecile. Duh. That something is debated is not an answer to the question. He asked her, when do you believe life begins? And she did not give an answer. Of course when life begins is debated. Of course it is. That's the whole reason for being. But thank you for giving us the obvious, Cecile. But listen to what she's trying to actually say when she says that's a subject of great, a lot of debate. She's saying that people debate and disagree over this question means her views are automatically right. They're right for her, and if they're right for her, they ought to be good enough for you. And if her views are automatically right, anyone who wants to limit her view to just herself, meaning keep her views from determining public policy for everyone else, is by default wrong what she's saying. Now, notice she doesn't say, people disagree because, and then give a reason. She lets the moral relativism hang out there. And in a culture that believes in moral relativism, as we do here, it's considered good enough. Right. Well, it may be good enough for our culture. It's not good enough for Pro-Life Friday's radio. Opinions are still opinions. And I'm glad that the show host pressed her about it because he asked her again. And instead of answering the question a second time, which, you know, he basically asked her for a justification for having her belief she ducks the question another time and just says, oh, I, you know, it, I don't really see why it's relevant. It's irrelevant. Oh, well, if it's irrelevant, then why does Planned Parenthood malign people who are against abortion? If it's irrelevant, then stop opposing legislative restrictions and regulations on abortion clinics especially on Planned Parenthood. If it's irrelevant, give back the money to Congress, all $537 million of it. If it's right. irrelevant, stop pushing for abortion on demand. The truth is she, is, she as an abortion supporter, has to make abortion palatable 
by convincing as many people as possible that abortion is not murder of the innocent. The question, right. when does life begin, and by that we, meant, we, I, we mean, we mean, I mean, when do we start protecting people from death and harm, is the entire question surrounding legal abortion. That is what is at stake here. That is the point of debate. That's the question. So for her to say that it is ultimately irrelevant is it's a very untruthful reply because it's her way of saying, don't ask me about it. I have my views, and my views are right, even though I'm not going to say that they're right for everybody. But what I'm going to do instead is impose my view on the entire country by refuse, by advocating for abortion on demand, expansion of Planned Parenthood, getting money from Congress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My views will become your views by virtue of my actions. Right. So then she says for her own children, their lives began when she delivered them. Okay, now let's take this line of thinking to its logical end. If children's lives begin at birth and no earlier, then all we need... uh, uh, Okay, if children's lives begin at birth, think about that. Children's lives begin at birth and no earlier, then we all need to go back to our parents. Or in my case, the medical book my mother had lying around the house. And ask them for the talk one more time. (laughs) Because whatever is developing in a mommy's womb can't have anything to do with what gets born in nine months' time. So whatever your parents told you, or however you found out, is incorrect. So is Cecile Richards talking biology? Hmm... And what I loved about this interview and her little little quippy line here is I get to use a line of reasoning that I use when talking about how there is a beginning to the universe when I talk to uh, skeptics of the Christian worldview. And it goes a little bit like this. Everything that begins to exist has a cause, which means there's a reason for something to be. If it started to exist... There's a reason for it to start to exist. There's a cause. A baby that is born begins to exist. Therefore, a baby has a cause. The problem with this and Cecile Richards is that in Cecile Richards' case, she is claiming that babies pop into existence in this world uncaused, out of nothing, because obviously what was in the womb prior to birth is not the baby that gets born. So we have a couple of problems here. We have what is that which exists inside a mother's womb, and then what exists outside the mother's womb when a baby emerges into the world. Somehow, in this metaphysical claim of hers, babies just exist. They, they come out of the womb, but they don't come from somewhere. 
They don't come from the womb, but they come out of the womb. It's as if a baby just pops into existence uncaused and out of nothing. Now, if that is the case, I need to talk to my parents about where babies come from because obviously they lie to me. <laughs> and then, then we have to ask, well, if babies pop into this world uncaused and out of nothing, then what is the thing growing inside a mother for nine months? Oh, hmm. Leticia, I, there you go again. There you go again asking legitimately logical questions. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> and, well, not only did what, what is that thing growing inside a mother's womb for nine months, where did it go? Yeah. When the baby where did it go? <laughs> oh, man. Um, In a logical world, we see that human life is a progression from conception through birth, not to birth, through birth, to life outside the womb, to natural death. It's a one-way continuum where you as a human being, you as Thomas Smith existed before the before you were born, through your birth, and following, happens to everybody, and you are really you throughout your entire existence. You weren't somebody else, and you weren't something else. You went through stages of life, but at no point in time did you stop being what, who and what you are to be something else that someone can say, therefore, oh, you don't matter at this point in your life, and therefore you are you can be murdered. You can be killed, right. and your life can cease to exist. So I don't blame mm-hmm. Cecile for not being metaphysically strong on her logic. That's okay. Most people uh, don't think about things in those terms specifically, but when we are talking about human existence and human life, the ramifications of what she is saying for every human being, herself included, is that she has completely devalued the very human life she is clamoring to try to claim rights for. Now remember, if you don't have the right to life, you don't have a right to anything in life. You don't have the right to abortion. You don't have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As outlined by our Declaration of Independence, you don't have that. Because if the very, your very existence can be taken from you, the rest of it, to, uh, to <laughs> the right to every Marxist ideal, doesn't exist. You don't have a right to a job. You don't have a right to your own body because your body can be disposed of. You don't have a right to anything. So, I mean, this is, this is par for the course in, the, the, in pro-abortion logic. So this, I just wanted to take this time to remind everybody that the basic premise of the pro-abortion argument is still flawed and deeply horrific because it claims the life of the most 
innocent of human beings among us. And so we have a guest on that's going to be on in a little bit who's going to tell us something awesome. And if you like coffee, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen to that. And But, Thomas, you have something that you wanted to say about Cecile. Yes, most definitely. Um, but before I talk about her, one thing that, that is important for us to reiterate when it comes to us talking about, when it comes to us addressing the issue of abortion, is that we never condemn the post-abortive women because we know that um, we know that the root of everything begins with people like that, Cecile Richards. Most of the women, even the women who use abortion as birth control, they're doing, those who use birth control, use abortion as birth control, they're doing it because society accepted it. People like Cecile Richards told her, told them that it's okay, and it's not. In it most of the cases, yeah, I would agree put, with that. It's time for us to put the onus back where it belongs, on Planned Parenthood, on the abortion industry as a whole. So having said that, Cecile Richards, She is one of the most vile and evil individuals to ever walk the face of this earth. She she revels in the fact that she has children. Her children's lives began when she's when she gave birth to them. She's not really that stupid. Or maybe she is, but she's not because she's worshiping at the throne of mammon. Mammon, money. Bible says you can't worship God in mammon. Letitia, I'm glad we have this show because we get to expose the hypocrisy of it all. An organization that through that interview she talked about they care about women's health. Obviously you don't care too much about women's health if you're pushing abortion on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, while we, we do see there, like, as you said, there are some women that use abortion as birth control, and some of them do so um, knowing full well what they're doing. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to broad brush anybody in this. But by and large, it is like a population of has, that has been deceived and has been told from the beginning that abortion is the solution to the problem that you have. Insert right. problem here. So are we surprised that women by and large believe that because some women are desperate enough to want to believe that? Of course. 
Right. But, I mean, so I'm not trying to take the blame away from from some women completely because they are. They have committed right. a crime, not a legal crime, but they have committed a crime, but they are not 100% uh, at fault for that crime. Right. And I know somebody's going to try to misunderstand me on purpose because of that, but um, let me try to clarify. They're not alone. Everybody that is pro-abortion is complicit in the state of affairs that exists right now here in the United States. 57, I don't want to say 55 because I think it's 57 plus, million children that have been aborted. The guilt rests on anybody who has been complicit in supporting abortion. So there is not just one person to blame, but but there's a lot of deception that goes around with that with legal abortion. And women are deceived into believing believing those lies. So I just want I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, otherwise, we'll just get too far into the weeds with that. Um, we're going to take a quick, 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 quick break and be back with our guest. So stay, stay tuned. This is Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Put your hands up, open wide. Put your hands up side by side. Age don't matter like race don't matter like place don't matter like what's inside. Let the kick drum kick one time. Breathe out, let your mind unwind. Eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling. Wide open, let your own eyes shine. Yes, where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin. Beneath these hopes and where we've been. Every fight comes from the fight. Your hands up, open wide. 
All right, welcome to back to Pro Life Fridays. Our phone lines are open. The number to call in is 760-542-3907 if you want to join the program. And I have some great, great news. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I love coffee. When I do drink it, I, I drink delicious tasting cream and sugar, coffee flavored cream and sugar. <laughs> And I have on with me, um, no, okay, let me back this up and say there has been inside the pro-life community the big coffee debacle, crazy, crazy thing going on where we have a bunch of people that love commercial coffee from huge, gigantic commercial coffee makers, retailers, um, by the name of this huge Seattle company named I don't know. Can I say the name? I don't even know if I can say the name. By the name of something that rhymes with Starbucks. Maybe I can say that way. I know that I just totally lost our audience, didn't I? (laughs) Uh, But I have on with me somebody that will give us an alternative to – to the kind of coffee that we to the kind of coffee that we'd like to drink to support a cause that we'd love to support and what I would consider truly cruelty free coffee. Welcome to the show, John Lewis. Leticia, thank you so very, very much. I'm so pleased to be here with you from America's only pro life coffee company, Lifeboat Coffee. Hi. How are you guys? Wonderful. Lifeboat Coffee Company. I am so pleased to find out about Lifeboat Coffee. I did. Now, this is how I found your, about your um, your company. I did a search because I knew there were some other coffee companies out there that um, were trying to start up independent of the large chains that have a conscience about pro-life causes, and they didn't want to. Right. They wanted to become an alternative. And right. when your company name popped up, I decided to take a look, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You guys have been around for a while. Tell me about the story of Lifeboat Coffee. All right, Leticia, I'll be happy to do that. Uh, I just want to say for the record, we're often imitated, never duplicated. <laughs> <laughs> so there may be other pro-life coffee companies regionally. I know there are. In fact, there's some great people in New York and Colorado, California. I've met some of them in the process of creating this company, and they do things regionally. I just want to set the record straight, but since this is a national audience, we're mm-hmm. online at lifeboatcoffee.com, and we represent all 50 states and the territories. In fact, I'm proud to say we have a customer in Puerto Rico who enjoys our coffee. So that's kind of a, a fun little factoid for Lifeboat Coffee. And Excellent. You know, we... Thank you. We have just one passion. We created this company. My family and a core number of my friends created this company just for this singular passion. Let's figure out a great way to support frontline pro-life groups around the country and help them help themselves. In other words, you know, everything a nonprofit needs happens every single day. There's a crisis of money every single day. What if we could create this scenario whereby they could – simply fly a banner on their website, promote us on Twitter, Facebook, wherever, and make 10% back from all of their supporters buying something they're going to buy every day anyway. 
which is our coffees, our teas, our honeys. We even now feature a spiritual adoption kit. Uh, many people may not be into a religious aspect of the pro-life movement, but if you are and you wanted to spiritually adopt an at-risk unborn child, you can go on the website, you get a little kit, give us a gift, keep it at home. You have a little placard that comes out of the box. You write the day and the name of the child you'd like to name this child, and you promise to pray for that unborn child and their mother who are at risk of being killed and or wounded. So we just have a wide variety of products right now online at lifeboatcoffee.com. And to get to your question, I know you asked the question, but we'll get to it in a second. Um, the history is we're online now for about six months, but over the years, you know, I found myself awash in pro-life work one way or other. And it goes all the way back to uh, many people thought or think about the pro-life movement in America starting with Roe v. Wade because the Supreme Court decision that basically outlawed anti-abortion legislation became the law of the land, so to speak. Uh, but way back in 1967, in March to be exact, there were three states that already had legalized abortion not necessarily on the books on demand, but there wasn't anybody back then that was going to stop it either. And that's Colorado, New York, and California. And that's where my story begins, really, Letitia, is California, 1967, March. Uh, the legislature passes the Therapeutic Abortion Act, and somewhere along the line, my biological parents, that past December, uh, decided to, at some point, at late August, August 30th, I was born, and abandoned at St. Mary's Hospital in San Francisco. So in a very real way, I consider myself a proto-survivor of the American abortion holocaust. That's how it all began. I mean, it really was, in, I guess, just imprinted at birth, Letitia. So uh, well, if, if abortion had been legal when you were still in the womb, your mother might have chosen abortion. Well, that's to, what I'm uh, saying. It was legal in California yeah, at that given, time. So. Given uh, given your circumstances, yes. Right. And we all so know she had five months all, to abort me legally. Right. Right. Our, our um, you know, Thomas and myself both um, are very sensitive to this issue because our, our lives have been in a very close brush with abortion as well. And we know, yeah. that, we know that if things just went a little differently, both of us might not even be here. You know, our families yep. that we have, our children that we have, will not would not be here. And um, you know, not to say that my life is so important, but life itself is important. Everybody well, has a chance. Everybody needs that is given a life has a, has to have a chance to be born, and it should not be taken away from them. Right. We like to say that neither residence nor size has anything to do with your intrinsic human dignity nor the rights right. of the human person. I mean, it's as if to say, well, I live in a shack in Timbuktu, therefore my, my life is not valued. So, yeah, you know, you get to a lot of philosophical questions that are very pragmatic at the same time. Here in the United States we have mm -hmm. a, a Jekyll and Hyde uh, legal system. On the one hand, if you, Letitia, were pregnant driving down the street and you were hit by a pickup truck, and you were killed with your unborn child, your husband would be sitting at a murder trial for the vehicular manslaughter of two people. Uh, but had mm -hmm. you been on your way to the abortion mill to terminate, slaughter, slash, kill your unborn child, 
uh, they would not prosecute. So it's really a Jekyll and Hyde, a schizophrenic uh, legislative uh, legal system right now, and we need to move beyond that. And part of what we do is, of course, help groups that are fighting for the rights of the unborn, the elderly, and the infirm. It was important that we, we pick up on all aspects of life because, yes, of course, there's millions of unborn people being slaughtered. But I have a dear friend, Bobby Schindler, from the Life and Hope Network. His famous sister, Terry Schiavo, was murdered in front of the American media conscience back in 2005. And it was a profound turning point in my life where I said to myself, you know, I'm already doing things, but imagine not having the courage to get into my truck with my compadres and just go down there and, you know, John Wayne this and get her out of there. I mean, it really crossed my mind. I told him that one day in D.C., and he said that he even had Army captains, pilots of chopper crews that were really writing him, telling him they felt like they were less of a man for not going to rescue his sister. And I, So there is an undercurrent of us kind of folks out there, yourself, Letitia, and Thomas, and everyone at Blog Talk Radio, Pro-Life Fridays, that wants to change the culture and have an impact on everybody's life. And I, I applaud that. So Lipo Coffee is really um, not the whole answer, it's just hopefully a piece of the puzzle that helps people. And, you know, we did bring some coffee and a mug to give away today. I don't know when you want to do that because you're the host. But the the real thing is we want to be able to get people engaged to say, you know what, I realize 65% of all Americans are going to wake up tomorrow morning and drink coffee. Why not try LIFO coffee, teas, honey, whatever I want? Because then you can give 10% back of every purchase to your favorite pro-life group. We don't tell you where to put the dollars. We let you tell us where to send the dollars, and provided it's not a casino or some non-pro-life place, we're going to send it there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of course. Of course. It sounds like a wonderful idea, and I think this is, I think this is how things ought to be done. And no, and I, nobody has all of it together. Uh, certainly not a radio program and not one, one coffee business. I think it takes all of us working together because this is a, this is a big job protecting life. Uh, you know, just it sounds easy to say, but in the kind of climate that we have that we live in, that has legal abortion, we have uh, lots of uh, organizations that are committed to keeping abortion legal. Uh, there's a lot of work for any for anybody to do. And if we don't all work together to, and everybody accomplishes a little bit, uh, I don't think that it could ever be accomplished. No, I think we haven't gotten there yet, but I think we ought to. Uh, I think we ought to work together to make it happen. No, I, yeah, I think you're exactly right. Do, we need to work I together. Think you're exactly right. I, I just think that, you know, people don't realize that at, in hospitals across the country tonight. Uh, people who are incapacitated in many ways, sometimes they're elderly and incapacitated, will be given a lethal dose of morphine uh, and send them yep. off to their hasty death uh, quietly. And it happens every single day. They, they, nobody talks about it, but these old people who are no right. longer functional or young people that have been injured and incapacitated who are considered by hospital ethics boards to be no longer utilitarian useful, they're just right. put down like dogs. Right. And it's sickening to think about it, it uh, particularly in the light of the fact that, hey, what's going what's gonna to change this culture? Our one-to-one contact showing that uh, we can love our brothers and sisters and take care of them even when it's hard. Right. And we have featured, we have featured on our program uh, 
those stories that have broken through the news, I mean, thank you for bringing up the fact that there are a multitude of people that are killed in hospitals and in in, in, in other healthcare facilities uh, through neglect and by chemicals like morphine in a variety of ways. Uh, like Terry Shuttle, they can just be starved to death because they're no longer useful or they're just kind of uh, regarded as being dead. Uh, we talked about Jahai McMath, the 13-year-old girl in California right. that thankfully her family was able to rescue her from the hospital um, and put her in a facility that will care for her. Uh, we talked about that. I mean, these are, in, and I realize this happens a lot. One of the comments that we've received throughout uh, this kind of talk is that it happens all the time. Yes, I know, <laughs> it happens all the time. Uh, my own father, I think, uh, had my mother had to have a very serious discussion when my father was incapacitated like that near his death uh had to have that quality of life discussion with her with his doctors where they encouraged her to cut off all kind of medical support for him so that he would um die sooner rather mm, than later just insidious yeah um, just insidious absolutely Absolutely. Well, you know, my, you know that, I, that wasn't a story that made the news, and I don't think enough of these do make the news. I think people would be very surprised to know how often it does happen. I agree. And I thank God for Block Talk Radio and Pro-Life Fridays because, you know, the more of these great programs we have on, uh, the more we get to have this national discussion. And I think people have lost the art form of argument. You know, I'd love to have – in my radio career, I had folks from the other side try to be on the radio, and they get personally offended yeah. when you bring up fact and and, and take down their fiction. But people have lost this idea that you can have a spirited discussion, even an argument uh, about things, because you need to get to the heart of these issues. And really, that was part of my thinking when we decided in Sioux City, Iowa, of all places, to work hand-in-hand with a pro-life group there. We said, you've got this beautiful facility. It's adjacent to a Planned Parenthood where they kill 20 kids every other Tuesday. Can I personally lead a crew of guys that will knock out part of the wall? We'll put in a steel lintel. We'll put in a window. I'll build a radio studio, and we'll have a live radio program every Tuesday that they kill babies in real time, go live and encourage people to pray for these women that they turn around, that families turn around, the abortionists will convert. And we had this radio program for quite a long time, and people were just amazed at the power of prayer and getting active and being around this. And they found out that once girls found out that people were praying and there was a lot of saves, thanks be to God, a lot of praying going on. But the point is then we had to decide how do we pay for all this? You know, we, we really need to be – and the pro-life group was like, well, right. we don't have any money. And the radio station was like, well, we don't have any more money. So I said, well, let's remodel the rest of your building and let's open the Lifeboat Coffee Shop. And so that's where the original Lifeboat Coffee Shop idea came from. Ah. And we did remodel every place and got it all ready to go. And the groups kept fighting and kept deciding who was going to pay for what and how was going to, who was going to pay for my time and how we were going to conduct a radio show and blah, blah, blah. So I said, I'm just going to take my toys and go home because this is a good idea. I can do this nationally. I don't have to just build a coffee shop in Sioux City. I can build the Lipo Coffee brand nationally and tell folks, look, if you're pro-life, whether you fight for the unborn, the elderly, or the infirm, your group can support my group by promoting it, and I'll give you 10% of the proceeds just for your trouble, passively. And... And so far, we have a dozen or two affiliates. 
more than 50 beneficiaries across the country. Our coffee has been purchased in 33 out of 50 states and a territory, as I said, Puerto Rico. So we're growing, thanks be to God. And more, nice. the more people find out about it and the more people that taste it, they say, hmm, you know, this is probably a pretty good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So so tell us, uh, um, so we first ask, what kind of, you know, where who are your, some of your affiliates and where have you gone to advertise? Because I saw pictures on your website, and but I'll let you yep. tell us where you were. Okay, well, we've had, of course, uh, the big name, my only big name affiliate right now is Terry Schiavo's terrysfight.org with her brother Bobby Schindler. And the rest of them are all, you know, either parishes or small pro-life groups. And I, and I don't mean to say they're unimportant. I just mean they're not flagship names because they're all very important for the work they do. Right. Um, right. We've got folks at the Colby Academy in California. We've got little parishes like St. Bernard's, a very tiny little Catholic parish here in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, we've got uh, a big parish and a pro-life group in Goshen, New York, St. John's Life it's called. Uh, we've got... I'm thinking about down south in Texas, if we've got anybody right now. Uh, well, probably more so here in this heartland region than anywhere else. So mostly parishes and small pro-life groups like Nebraskans United for Life. Uh, but then we have had the chance to be in a lot of places, including we, we marched the march. We went to the March for Life and put a team out there Yay! with a giant light boat coffee banner, and we marched. We, you know, I put out a blurb on Facebook the other day, or Twitter, I can't remember which one. I said, does your coffee company talk the talk or walk the walk? <laughs> With the picture of us at the March. Very so, nice. Yeah, so I guess the question is, my coffee company marches for life in D.C. in five degrees. What does your coffee company do? You know? <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great question. And so if you are listening to our broadcast, I will take – um, let me, let me see, let me see, let me take the third caller, can I get a third caller to call in, and the third caller will receive uh, one of the giveaways that Lifeboat Coffee has, uh, which is, you have a one pound bag of coffee, Right. Um, so you have two of those, and a coffee mug, which right. I think is so, awesome. I don't know if we're going to give it all it's away not, at one shot, or going to do it again at the top of the hour. It's not that gigantic. <laughs> Well, it's not that gigantic one you have right there. It's about the size of a swimming pool. <laughs> it is the gigantic one, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's so wonderful. So I will take the, thir- uh, the first third caller that comes in um, and give away some coffee. And in the meantime, good. tell us a little bit more about, um, let's see what question I had. I had a question. What uh, kind of the, coffee the do I have, post. maybe? We'll get to that. Uh <laughs> Okay, the affiliate program, I'll tell you about the affiliate program. Yes, how does somebody become a part of your affiliate program? Sure, it's really so easy. It's embarrassingly easy. It used to be really clunky, but we used to track things by hand and create codes by hand and do all things. But now, I'm thankful to say as of uh, about a a Monday, two Mondays ago, so what's that, two, well, I guess two full weeks now, today's Friday, we launched a brand-new infrastructure at lipocoffee.com. So just go to lipocoffee.com. You'll see a very uh, fast-loading website with a menu tree across the top. Hover your mouse above the phrase that says Get 10%, and then simply click on the link that says Become an Affiliate. There's a sign-up form. Provided you read and agree to the terms of service, then you have a username and password. You go back in. 
You manage your own website. You download your own banners. We have five varieties to choose from right now. We can even customize your banners and preload them for you if you have – some websites are so colorful that like coffee, brown, and white uh, banners don't go well on them. So we, we do customize banners as well. And then they're preloaded with the code. You download them. And then the really fun part is you get to promote Lifeboat Coffee across all your platforms, like on your website, in your emails, maybe you print a newsletter, maybe you have Twitter, maybe you have uh, Facebook, maybe you have everything. So let's just say you promoted Lifeboat Coffee once per week and you started building customers. Maybe in the first month you might get a $5 check, but by the end of the year you could be getting 100 maybe even $2 or $200 a month, depending on the size of your group and how much you promote it. And so it's a flat 10% back to the affiliate, no hidden charges. Um, it's free to sign up, so really, and it's gourmet coffee. So that's the easy way. LifeboatCoffee.com, hover over the menu that says get 10%, and then choose become an affiliate. It's just that simple. Very nice. Uh, so now tell us about the coffee. And you also have tea. Yes, we do, and uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so... The coffees are origin-wise first, Colombian coffee. We have a medium blend and a dark blend. I'm a darker coffee fan, so we have everything is named after a seaport, with the exception of at Christmas we serve Christ's Birthday Supremo, which is kind of a minty mocha coffee. We don't have that anymore, but it's a Christmas type thing. And our medium Colombian, our signature morning blend is called Loving Life. What else, right? But everything else is named after a port city, so... You can find on our website all the different coffees, including Colombian. We have a dark Guatemalan. We have a medium Costa Rican. We have a medium Sumatran, the original Java Java. And so that's right now. We have flavor-wise, we have hazelnut available, but we're going to have a snickerdoodle type and a caramel uh, creamy type here in the next few weeks for our spring flavors. In the tea department, in the black tea department, we have Irish breakfast teas, uh, the Irish breakfast blend. All of our teas are either hand-blended or hand-fruited by our tea master. So the Irish blend is a makeup of uh, black teas, great tea any time of day. I'm a big tea fan in the afternoon. Our other black tea is the orange spice black tea, again, uh, fruited by hand. It's marvelous if you like fruity tea. It's good. I mean, I'm not a big fruit fan, uh, but it's great. And then a Blue Mountain Organic Black Tea, for our organic friends, another very robust black tea. And then the green tea department, in an ancient Chinese style, the wet leaves are rolled into pellets, and the, the, it's called gunpowder, green tea, because it looks like little pellets of gunpowder. And then we also have a very sweet pomegranate, hand-fruited uh, green tea, which is a delight anytime. Really, I enjoy that one. And then uh, last but not least, rounding out our tea offering is uh, Egyptian chamomile and the whole flower. So when you get it, you actually see the little flower bud. So it's a wonderful delight. And we have America's Pro-Life Honey featured with us. Also, it's called Humble Angel Honey. It's made from a Siouxland co-op. So you can imagine it's full of corn and clover and alfalfa. It's a delightful honey available in 12-ounce jars through our website. And then, of course, I already spoke about the spiritual adoption. So that's the retail products. Right. And then for the pro-lifers that want to have fundraisers, you can click on the Get 10% Start Fundraising. And we have a whole sister website dedicated to fundraising materials, including restoring respect for God and His commandments with the Ten Commandments plaque. How about that? Cool. Very nice. 
And tell us a little bit about your customer service because I, when I called your phone number, I got the most yes. delightful message <laughs> when, when the answering <laughs> well, service picked up. we do have a quality of service guarantee that if it's uh, Monday through Saturday and you call before uh, 6 o'clock uh, or 8 o'clock, rather, our time, that we'll call you back before 9 o'clock um, except Sundays. We, don't make, we try not to do business on Sundays. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Things, there's crises in the coffee center that I have to put out, but we don't do retail business anyway on Sundays. Just try to have a little deference of uh, taking Sunday seriously as a day of rest. But if you get us Monday mm-hmm. through Saturday, our pledge is to call you back. Wonderful. It's really nice to get uh, a human being on the other end of the line when you're trying to call. I know, right? And uh, I, you know what? My own church doesn't do that. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> uh, well, so- I have to be honest. We don't always have someone in the office because the offices are above the coffee center. So at sometimes mm-hmm. we're down packing coffee and we hear the phone ringing. We can't always get to it, but that's why we promised to call you back. <laughs> cool. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for talking about the coffee. We are going to move to doing a drawing for the coffee and the mug um, off air. And uh, so if you're listening to this in archives, please send me your text message or your email uh, to our Facebook page. We will put your name in a hat and draw out for those prizes. And for you, sir, I, I love your concepts. I love the, what you're doing and wanting to give back to the pro-life community and helping those who are working hard to try to make abortion unthinkable, not just illegal, but unthinkable. Um, I want to give you something, which is a, a one, at least, at least, we're going to talk about this, at least one month of advertising on Pro-Life Fridays Radio. Wow, thank and you so very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. It is my pleasure. And one of the things that I'd like to uh, do is lose my entire train of thought. So let's go to a break. <laughs> and, uh, uh, we'll, no extra and charge thank for that, you so much. Stay on the line. Uh, we'll, we'll get to you um, off air. Let's take a break and be right back. All right. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.
Music. Pro-Life Fridays Radio. This is your host, Patricia Wong. Our phone lines are open. Uh, Thomas, you're also here on on air with me. I know we lost you for a second there. No, I was on mute, actually. Uh, Another (laughs) call came in. So I was on mute. Okay. Well, our lines are open. uh, If you'd like to call into the show and ask us a question, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. And I really love it when people put their money where their mouth is and they have they open a business for the purpose right. of benefiting the pro life cause and helping uh in the fight to end abortion. And I specifically had said not only to end legal abortion but to make it unthinkable. The same way we now today think chattel slavery of somebody uh, because of the skin right. color or sex trafficking, those things, you know, they're still a reality in the world. Sex trafficking is a reality in this world, in, in our country. But they're not legal, and people oppose them. Right. That's what, that's what we need to see happen with legal abortion that we overturn its legality or allowing it to happen legally in this country and people oppose it. Right. Just just like the African slave trade. Right. It's be, you know, African slave trade here in the in western states has become unthinkable. How could you, you know, it's like you're asking people, even liberals, even leftists have come a long way. <laughs> In accepting the fact that it is an unthinkable thing to enslave another human being. Now we've got to bring them up to speed on abortion. Right. And right. it can be done. We, we have shown in history, history has shown it can be done. And we can do it with abortion as well. However, we're not there yet. And one author that I have come to really respect. He has written for uh, Chuck Holson's Breakpoint blog, and he makes some really great points. And this is something that we will return to from time to time, and that is the role of the Christian church 
uh, when it comes to social justice issues. And when I say social justice, I mean real social justice issues, pro-life issues, such as we talk about on this program. And he wrote this article that was uh, titled, Christians Could End Abortion Now, But It's Clear We Don't Really Want To. And now I, you know, if you, that makes you cringe, that's good. If it convicts you, that's good. Because I think he hit upon, he hits upon a real truth. He says, right. he's an older, he's a slightly older man. If you're as old as I am, you will recall, we swore we would never forget the German death camps. We swore we would never let them be built, rebuilt. We swore we right. would never let such a monstr- monstrously evil thing happen again. Not on our watch. No, not ever. But effectively, we did forget the dead camps. We let their equivalent be rebuilt in America's 850 abortion clinics. We let the monstrously evil thing happen again in spades. History has repeated itself by powers of ten. For where the Nazis had their six million victims, we have on our hands the blood of 60 million. Right. Not a day passes that I don't ask myself, how, in the name of all that is holy, have we let this happen? How, from week to week, are we able to assemble in houses of worship and with ostensibly clear consciences preach and hear sermons and sing songs about the love of God when we are so fantastically out of touch with what the love of God is all about. What happened to caring for the least of these? Where is our love for them? He goes on to say, I know you're weary of hearing the almost the now almost emptied of meaning comparison to Hitler's systematical extermination of those he considers untermenschen, the quote-unquote less-than-humans. Believe me, I'm weary of drawing that comparison. Not because it doesn't fit, it does. But because it no longer produces outrage. Witnessing Christian apathy on abortion makes me wonder if Auschwitz enraged us not so much for the depth as for the novelty of its evil. After all, we weren't accustomed in the 1940s to mass-produced assembly line murder. These days, we are. I say we because it is we, Christians, who could bring about a swift end to the abortion holocaust if we really wanted to. But 40-plus years of deafening pulpit silence argues we don't really want to. Christians are quick to say they believe in the sanctity of life from conception to natural death, but most do little practically to incarnate that belief and help change ours from a culture of death to a culture of life. Most are pro-life in belief, but not in action. Most do little to actually help, remarking on the failure of the church to do little more than deal with the effects of great evil after the fact. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, We are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. 
We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. If we were serious about ending abortion, we could easily drive a spoke into the wheels of the machinery that drives Christian apathy and inaction. I've outlined an embarrassingly simple one-minute strategy to end abortion, which we will talk about, <laughs> that, I will believe, that I believe will work, if only pastors would implement it. But American pastors and churchgoers are more offended that responsibility and blame should be laid at their feet than that 3,500 babies a day are being put to death. This by itself ought to be a potent wake-up call that there is something horribly wrong with a Christianity more upset by what it considers unfair defamation and wrongly placed blame than it is by the mass extermination of its little neighbors. But is the blame wrongly placed? In common jurisprudence, when you have a duty to prevent the commission of a crime but fail to make the effort, you are complicit in its commission. You are what's known as an accomplice. Christ's brother James put it this way, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We know the right thing to do in being willing accomplices to the evil of our age. We could end our silence on abortion, but we don't want to pay the price for standing up and speaking out on behalf of those who can't defend themselves. We prefer an abundant life, Christianity, that includes all the blessings but none of the suffering Christ promised his followers they would face if they were true to him. We have become expert at devising reasons why we can't make the abolition of abortion a church priority. So expert, in fact, that if every baby aborted in America were Jewish, we would be the pride of Hitler's SS for sanctioning their obscene final solution with our steadfast refusal to oppose it. What a testimony. Now, that is unbelievably harsh. I mean, that is extremely harsh, but very well put. And I think there would be not a few people in church that would take issue with what he said, and I expect that. Um, The only thing that I would have a problem with what he said was that he didn't go far enough. And what I mean by that, that he didn't characterize a church of the kind that I have experienced in the last decade or so with a lot of younger professing Christians. Now, we talk, when we're talking about younger, maybe 40 and under, who have not produced um, the same number of, I mean, let, let's, let's look, look at the generational divide. We have older church-going members who are apathetic in their way, which means they don't want to get uh, involved in something that they, were, they grew up as being taboo. So abortion was rather taboo. People didn't talk about it. People didn't tell others they have abortions. They weren't inundated with the kind of programming that planned parenthood pushes on our culture today. 
Planned Parenthood has become so bold. They're running video ads aimed at children. Yes, children. And I, somebody's going to say children, teenagers, talking about how acceptable it is to play, and I have this in quotes, in BDSM. And if you don't know what that is, look it up. BDSM, explaining how it's, it could be a healthy part of your sexual experience. We have Planned Parenthood making videos telling teenagers how this is something they can engage in. You would never have seen an announcement or an advertisement of any sort like that a generation ago. Right. So, So given the under 40 crowd that's, is now occupies a lot of the churches that that I have experienced. Uh, what is their reticence to talking about abortion? They're they're apathetic too. So let me not shy away from saying the older crowd is apathetic and the younger crowd is apathetic, but they're both apathetic for different reasons. It's pathetic, but they're different. Right. And the younger crowd that doesn't get addressed so much because they don't fall into the stereotypical uh, Christian church is apathetic, not because they don't want to be seen as cool with their friends, but because they're so afraid of. I want to say this. Well, I want to say this the right way. They're afraid of confronting the truth uh, with, with the ramifications that it has. And what I mean by that is that when younger people confront abortion with their friends, they're not just afraid, they're not just afraid they're going to lose their friends, afraid that their friends are going to tell them that they're condemning their lifestyle and their beliefs. I believe people under 40 are more afraid of what other people think of them, and not just, oh, I think you're a nerd or you're some kind of label, or you're a Christian Bible thumper. I think they're afraid of being judged by other people. Right. As, as, oh, you're unkind, you're uncompassionate to women's issues, uh, you're you're one of those people. You're sexist. You're you're racist. You're bigoted, and if because people who are opposed to abortion are typified as being racist, sexist, and and bigoted, right? Right? Am I right? <laughs> right. And they're afraid. Right. They're so afraid of being thought of as as racist, sexist, and bigoted that they won't say anything for fear of hurting their friends who have either had abortions or relatives who have had abortions, or they're among a lot of people who feel strongly pro-abortion. They don't want to say anything because they don't want to be labeled as one of those bigoted people. I, mm. I, you know what? I sympathize. I sympathize with not wanting people to accuse you of being something you know you're not. Because I know they're, they're not right. bigoted at all. But sometimes you have to be called some things that aren't true. 
and that's the least of your problems. Right. I, I just see that. I just see that they're not willing to pay that price. The personal sacrifice of a relationship. Um, you know, this generation loves relationships, and it's a good thing. Younger people love their relationships. They love to be with. If that's what you know, really, that's what we have. Given the kind of economic climate that we have, and the breakdown of family, and and all this stuff, and you know, watch me go off on, go off on my soapbox here. But really. Good, honest relationships where people love each other as friends ought to love each other are rare. They are rare. And when right. you find friendships, even though the one that you have of good friendship with has a diametrically opposed worldview than you, <laughs> if they tolerate you and they right. like you, you kind of hang on to that. And, I, you know, right. I'm, not, I'm not judging that. I think, that's, I think it's, it's perfectly natural to try to hang on to that. However, right. is it going to cost thirty-five the lives of 3,500 people in order to hang on to that relationship? And you say, well, Tisha, can I have both? Well, yeah. Hmm. You can have both, but having both doesn't mean you keep your mouth shut about what's wrong and letting other people determine your beliefs out in public for you. So in the church, I think this is a syndrome of wanting to look acceptable. And I, I know that's kind of cliche, but wanting to not be the subject of ridicule anymore. And I'm, I don't know that there is a way around that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's a way around that. People have to come to that, that conclusion. There, at some point, there is no way around that, and we have to come to grips that people aren't always going to have fond things to say about Christians for the stances we take. Well, you know, Christians need to be known for our love and our acceptance. Absolutely. But do we trade love and acceptance for lies? Is it worth the price of a human life? Right. I don't know that the cost has been counted in that regard. I really don't. And I fear for those who finally get a conscience about that, that they would have wasted 30 years of their lives justifying something that's not justifiable. But anyway, let's move on <laughs> from hmm. the soapbox. Did you have to something you wanted to say about that? Or... thing ever. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to the stupidest thing ever. Uh, again, there was there's that story that there was a couple that found like $10 million worth of gold under a tree in their backyard, and they did the stupidest thing ever of telling the public about it. <laughs> Listen, if I was digging in my backyard under my tree and I found a, a a can full of gold coins, you better believe no one's going to know about it. In fact, I might have found one already. No, I didn't. And even if I did, I wouldn't. Sorry about that, Leticia. I lost <laughs> you there. Oh, you lost me. <clears throat> it, was, it was a story about the, the couple 
who found $10 million or so. I think it was a $10 million or $18 million. I forget how much it was. So it in was gold $10 coin. million dollars in, in gold. In $10 million yeah. in gold coins. Right. And they did the stupidest thing ever by telling somebody. <laughs> right. Uh, so what happened? I, I wanted to, but that was, so now the IRS is coming thundering down their, their front door saying, okay, we want half of that. Oh, nice. Ever see the movie Secretariat? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's what the IRS does to people. Anyway, it, it is a complete injustice, but at the same time, the, they should have just kept their mouth shut, really. I think they should have just kept their mouth shut. <laughs> not say, look at what we found in our backyard. But that is not the real story, the real stupidest thing ever. Now, I just wanted to point that out, that it was the stupidest thing ever that they did, but the real stupidest thing ever is having all your money taken from you, not just half. The story uh, from, I think Yahoo threw this up on their website, there was a college student, the daughter of a, a college administrator, uh-huh. who sued the school and won a lawsuit uh, for $80,000, had a gag order to put on him so to not talk about it. So, you know, the, he and the school had a dispute, and they settled. The school paid him $80,000 in a settlement with the agreement that uh, a non-disclosure agreement never to talk about it. Okay. Well, he talked about it to his daughter, he thought that he could. And the daughter, who loves Facebook, decides to tell the world. Oh, wow. <laughs> decided wow. to tell the world. Mama and Papa Snay, and that's her last name is Snay, won the case against Gulliver, which is the name of the school. She wrote, Gulliver is now officially paying for my vacation to Europe this summer. Fuck it. Oops. So for wow. breaching the non-disclosure agreement, that eighty thousand dollars goes right back to where it came from. <laughs> Which I think. Wow. Agreement that was just to serve. Uh, lesson learned is if you have stupid, the stupidest ever daughter, please don't tell her anything. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. I really think that beats the $10 million gold find under the tree. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw someone posted that on Facebook. Maybe that was you that posted that. But all I have to say to that is, wow. That was yeah, dumb. I, uh, yeah, who's sucking it now? Poor family. Poor guy. <laughs> wow. Okay, we have an announcement. What? I'm sorry. Uh, I said, having said that, next. Having said that, we have an announcement that is not the stupidest thing thing ever. Next week is March 7th, and it will be our official name change launch. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's see, what kind of music should we print? play for that. Hmm. Can we pray? Right here. You had it right. We got it. 
What's that? I said you had, huh? What did you say? I said you had anyway. it right the first time. Are you good? Let's take care of my losing here. Uh, so let's play this. We have a wonderful announcement. We are on Pro Life Fridays. Is moving into a new phase of our show development. We are going to change our name from Pro-Life Fridays to True Life Fridays, and it's going to be spelled T-R-U-Life Fridays Radio. And this is an exciting change for us, and we will have Facebook and Twitter and website to go along with that. So we're going to ask all our listeners, hey, 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 please, Find our new page, which will go up in a couple of days. Our official launch will be next Friday. You can start liking the True Life Fridays radio page by Monday, by Monday of next week. So you have this weekend, and then the page will be up. You can already visit our website that is still under construction, but you can visit it at True Life Fridays. I'm sorry, let me say that again. TrueLifeFridaysRadio.com, and I will announce when we have a new Twitter account to go with that, too. It's exciting. It's exciting. I think uh, this is all part of us being kind of ahead of the curve, as all our show has been all along, just a little yes. ahead of the curve. Thanks so. to Letitia Wong and Melissa Palou. They rock and they are the rocking and rolling, controlling and soloing. And what would it be without our brother Thomas? Nothing. Well, I'm the invisible conservative. You know that. You know you that. <laughs> oh, we're going to do that now. Okay, okay, invisible. Uh, I'm the invisible conservative. <laughs> I'm going to end with one one clippy thing um, and the song that I've wanted to play for a while because I've been waiting. Joe Biden says that five to six million uh, short, I think, what is it, three million short of their goal for Obamacare enrollment is a pretty good start. Uh, thanks, Joe. Are you going to be running for president? I, I can only hope and watch the fireworks for that. So, Thomas, have a good night. Have a good yes. weekend. You Everybody, I will. check out True Life Fridays right here next week. We'll see you then. Good night. All right. Good night, everyone. Gentleman.